It is a catchy tune, Luke. It is a catchy tune. <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome to Aussie Craft Distillers Shooting the Shit. My name is Craig or Crafty from Craftworks Distillery. And tonight we're going to be chatting with Holly Flintworth from Bass and Flinders Distillery in uh, Victoria. G'day, Holly. Hello. Hello, everybody. How, how are you tonight? Very good. Got my gin and tonic in hand, ready to go. Very nice. Very Yay. nice. Nice. And, and the boys are on. So we've got Luke, who who is a whiskey drinker, distiller, and um, IT specialist who holds this whole thing together, this machine that we call Aussie Craft Distiller Shooting the Shit. Very loosely. Very loosely. <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. It's a very high-quality production, as you've all seen. <laughs> Cutting-edge stuff. Oh, no yeah. And on the on my left is Todd, my right hand man, the Todd. G'day, Todd. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, it's a bit wet. It's a bit wet over here at the moment, but we'll survive. Yeah, yeah we, we've uh, we've had a bit of rain today as, as well. Um, bit bit patchy, so not good when you're trying to mill. You've got your mm. mill poked. And you're trying to mill and it's starting to rain, so you got to got to balance things out there. <laughs> so, did you yes. get sideways rain up there? Yes, did today actually. Mm, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, had that. It's pretty full on. Anyway, let's rip into it. So, we're going to be talking all things bass and flinders tonight, which is going to be really interesting because it's uh, it's a bit of a different story. And uh, the first thing we do is we're all going to just say what we're drinking because uh, you've got to have a drink when you do these things. So I'll kick it off. I'm keeping it pretty straightforward tonight, uh, keeping it light. And I'm just going with the Starwood twofold. I thought that's what it was. Yep. Yep. Which is a very nice, approachable, easy whiskey. So it's a good, ent it's a good entry to whiskey drinking, isn't it? For people it who haven't, who haven't had a good a good whiskey before, or their experience with whiskey in the past has just been, I hate that. It's a good way to get them in, I think. It's approachable. It's, it's very very approachable, yeah. And affordable. And to affordable help. too, absolutely. <laughs> okay, Holly. So what are, what are you drinking tonight? I have here. I've got a heartbreak. Oh, there we go. Heartbreak Pinot Noir gin. Of ours, uh, I break in a noir gin and tonic. Um, yeah, a little bit sweeter, obviously, one of those great base gins. Um, bit of dehydrated orange in there as well. Nice, very nice, very nice indeed. All right, yeah, no. And what do you got, Todd? You on whiskey or gin tonight? Uh, well, I'm going to start off with gin because this is one of the first. Oh, look, people so we so you got that when we visited um holly's distillery back mm. in um march yeah yes so uh, march, 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 September. got through that bottle yeah, <laughs> yeah no that was um i think it was april yeah i, I think it was april yeah, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. April. i had a few other ones as well no, no dust 
Still got that one kicking <laughs> on. It's really nice. They never last long at your house, do they? No, <laughs> sadly. All right, then Luke, what are you on? Well, I currently have in my glass because I was just uh, came in late to our our prep for the session. Um, in uh, the whiskey list, um, uh, Bakery Hill tasting. So nice. I'm currently on their double wood, and then I'll move on to the whiskey list special cask, uh, musket cask, which is quite flocky. Uh, you can't really, I don't know whether you can see that, but there's a lot yeah, of bits yeah. there. And then the Bakery Hill petered to finish off. The trifecta. We'll see whether I get through all of them. Very nice. The Bakery Hill trifecta. Mm. Absolutely. All right. It'll be good. All right. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's kick it off then. Um, so for those who don't know uh, Bass and Flinders, and I imagine uh, most people that are on tonight would know Bass and Flinders. Why don't we start right at the beginning, Holly? Why, why don't you give us a, a bit of an insight into how you got into distilling spirits and, and, and the story of uh, Bass and Flinders? That's pretty cool. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, to start with my story, i got to go back a little bit earlier to my dad's story. So um, my late father, Wayne, he uh, was one of the founders of Bass and Flinders Distillery in 2009. So we've been around for a little while now. Um, and the, I guess the, the real inspiration um, behind setting up Bass and Flinders stemmed from where we are. So based on the Mornington Peninsula, wine producing region surrounded by vineyards and he saw um he saw an opportunity because there was no distilleries on the peninsula at the time and um you know often often over in european countries where there's wine and where there's fruit there's often distilleries that pop up and turn that leftover produce into a local spirit and so um he had the bright idea to work with grapes and turn grapes into uh Brandy, basically. Brandy was the the dream and the goal uh, behind setting up Bass and Flinders, and um, I guess I guess he really wanted to take on the finest of the French brandies. He wanted to try and make a, a, a great Australian brandy to rival the very best of the French, so the cognacs and the armagnacs and so forth. So, um, yeah, so that was that was two thousand and nine, and back then um, they invested in a three hundred liter alembic pot still. So very small, and we've literally been using that same 300 pot still up until up until this year um, yeah. when we bought a, a secondhand ex cognac still. But I'll um, maybe get to that a little bit later. Um, but when he set up the distillery, he I guess he was he was new, and in order to learn the craft, um, he engaged a master distiller uh, from. Uh, who had trained with Remy Martin and he brought this master distiller out to train him and, and to learn the ropes. Um, and for many nights at the start, he actually set up a, a hammock and slept next to the pot still because he was terrified that something would happen. So he literally <laughs> spent all his days and nights in the distillery um, trying to perfect the craft and make the, make the eau de vie. So, um, 
Yeah, basically what we what we do that makes us quite unique is that we distill wine from scratch, turn that into a, a grape based spirit or an eau de vie, um, also also a non neutral spirit, and we use that non neutral spirit to either barrel age and turn into brandy or uh, use the same non-neutral spirit to make gin and that's that's what makes our gins particularly unique because obviously most distilleries use a neutral uh, spirit to make the gin so uh, we use the the eau de vie kind of like an extra botanical in the gins so that's that's probably our biggest difference and then I guess from 2009 um, started distilling started to put some spirit down into barrels and like many whiskey distilleries out there that are first established um to make whiskey but in the meantime while the whiskey is maturing they they make gin that that same story happened to us so while our brandy was maturing we started making gin and we started making liqueurs and we were quite lucky that we did that because it was probably only a couple of years prior to the big gin boom happening and we already had products in the market um so it was good timing right and right. um yeah and then i i stepped on board to uh take over from my dad in 2016 uh, and run the business and learn the ropes from him um learned everything i know today from him and took on his his passion i guess um and grew the business to where it is today so uh yeah that's our story wow wow so so you um yeah, you, you come at it quite a, a different way, haven't you? You know, uh, taking, a, as you said, a, a non-neutral approach, um, which means you must have very good relationships with winemakers yeah, and fostered them over the many years, I bet. Yeah, yeah, we do. And we, we source, we try and source as much produce from the peninsula as we can, but obviously peninsula grapes are very expensive. So um, some of our premium brandy has peninsula Chardonnay, but we also source... Shiraz and Chardonnay from Central Victoria and that particular winemaker we've been working with right from inception, right from 2009. And so he's he's got our specifications on acidity and pH and sugar levels and all that. And, um, yeah, we, we've got a really good relationship with him. Um, and that's, you know, that's the most important part, making sure that the winemaker knows exactly what you're looking for and can produce to spec so that you can uh, get the characteristics characteristics that you want in your O to V. Mm. And then obviously there's uh, a lot of seasonal or can be a lot of seasonal variation in, in the grapes as well. How mm. do you find that that ends up affecting your end spirit? Yeah. So obviously when it comes to brandy, that's not a problem. Every single barrel differs. Um, every vintage differs. There's a lot of difference. Um, and that's what, you know, the importance of blending. But when it mm. comes to gin, um, it's very very good point you raise because this is something that we we have to work really hard to manage because interestingly when it comes to gin people expect gin to be consistent with every mm -hmm. bottle they buy and for us because our eau de vie is different every vintage we end up having to kind of r&d the same uh the same gin recipe every year to balance out the differences in the eau de vie year on year and that you know we could use the same um, gin ten recipe one year and then do it again the next year and the pepper berry will be way too pronounced and we'll have to back that off and that's just the change in the eau de vie. So it, it adds a, a lot more layers of complexity to, to, produce, you, to produce a consistent gin. Yeah, wow, that's a lot of extra work. 
Uh, <laughs> well, but you managed it. Yeah, that's cool. And that's that's just been a learnt skill as, as you've gone along, or is it uh, training based? Would you, would you say? Yeah, I mean, it's it's something we kind of had to feel our way through. You know, you you, you do it, you do a small batch, you do the next year's batch, and you think, gee, this tastes really different. Why is that? Um, and you compare the O to V, and and they're very different. Um, and so it's it's just fine tuning. And so that's that's something that we've become really good at. Um, yeah, it's 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 a shame because I think if you know if if people were more interested in um, experiencing the variance between vintages in gin, it's not really a thing. So I think it would be very hard to convince someone um, to be interested in that. But you know, the vintages are the great part of making brandy, but um, not necessarily when when making gin. But you know, it's it's something exciting for us, and it, it keeps it interesting. Yeah, do you do you keep your own little stock of the different vintages, or it's it's all it's all business? Let's get it consistent, and it all goes into that. Well, I mean, by the time we by the time we do all the tweaking, it it it's pretty it's pretty consistent. Um, mm -hmm. But we definitely do have you know a backlog of kind of sample eau de vie, and and tasting those vintage eau de vie is is really interesting to go through for sure. Mm. Yeah. Do, do you base that consistency off and like an old stock of eau de vie, uh, rather than what last year or the year before was? Like how far back are you going for your your baseline of that? I guess, that um, yeah, I guess when I started learning with my dad I got a feel for the style of the gins and we we do a lot of gins we do over 10 different gins um mm. I got a I got a really good feel in my head for what each gin uh was created to be you know for the for the gin 10 yep. it's supposed to be orange forward pepperberry and cassia and it's um it's I mean there's always because we're small batch and artisanal distillery there's always going to be variances anyway but mm -hmm. as long as that end product is true to what the concept of that gin was created to be that's you know it's got that balance um mm. because the the vintages can throw things out of balance and you've got to find that balance you've got to make sure mm. that those key botanicals are at the forefront and that's that's kind of where we are happy to land mm. yeah. yeah cool mm. well that's different you've got a big fan here Oh. <laughs> hey, Ali. <laughs> yeah. I'd say she's a fan, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she, she makes all right gin as well. She makes incredible gin. Some of the world's <laughs> best, I believe. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're doing, doing all right. Absolutely. And they're about to release their first rum too very shortly. They're getting oh. very close to that. Mm. Looking forward to that. <laughs> Was that a collab with you, Crafty? No, 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 no. Oh, that was no, at no. the whiskey. No, <laughs> no, no, no that, that was no, no. The the rum is is a, is a passion of theirs. Um, they just needed time. Um, but with um, yeah, with with uh, Nick and Ali, we did a barrel aged gin. Uh, oh, yeah, which that's was, right. You did barrel aged gin. Yeah, yeah, which was very cool actually. Um, it was it was fascinating to watch because um, Ali. Uh, had a different perspective on it. So I was coming at it from a whiskey standpoint, right? So here is a whiskey barrel. 
let's make a gin so we can have a barrel-aged gin. Um, she treated the barrel as a botanical, mm. which was very, very cool. Uh, we had uh, smoked juniper uh, in the in the recipe, which just accentuated the the uh, the, the sherry notes that were coming off the cask. Mm. So it was, uh, yeah, it was very, very, very clever. So, yeah, that was all Ellie. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Just interesting, and that, that's how we that's how we treat our non-neutral grape spirit as well. We treat the the characteristics of eau de vie as an extra botanical, um, and also texture. It adds kind of a viscosity and um, a different mm. texture to a neutral spirit as well. Yeah, right. I'd imagine there's a lot of difference in the oiliness and the like. You could could have a really thick, sticky. Uh, one year and then a lot lighter and and um, yeah lighter I guess the next year uh, that that certainly would add an extra layer of challenge to the consistency of it yeah I mean we, we try and keep those I mean with the wine specs we try and keep certain things fairly we, we don't want to play around too much with that consistency um, you know, for, we use a Shiraz-based soda beef for the gin um, and it's it's quite a low tannin Shiraz also because we don't want it to kind of get stuck and burnt inside the still. Um, mm. But we, we keep those kind of wine specs as consistent as we can, but then that the flavour characteristics um, and just the overall texture of a non-neutral spirit, it, it does it does tend to be, um, in my opinion, a bit a bit smoother, a bit rounder, a bit, a bit more viscous. Um and it's got that fruit character. So that's always, of course, that's going to add, you know, a, an extra kind of botanical element to the gin. Mm. Very interesting. Mm, yeah. And then um, you go and throw ants into one. What was that? And then you go and throw ants into one of them. Yes. Yes. Angry ants. Yes. Angry ant. Angry ant gin. Yep. Whole lot of ants. Um, many, many, many ants. Uh, and pheromones actually um <laughs> yeah and yeah. the the beautiful story behind that one is we uh I, so woolene station is over in western australia and um we first heard about the story of woolene station on australian story i think there's been about three episodes on tv now um and the, this property has been regenerated to basically bring it back to its natural state because there was a lot of cattle and erosion um, and David Pollock and his wife Frances are doing incredible things on that property. Um, and when we called them up to, to find out if there was any amazing native botanicals we could have a play around with and distill, they reeled off a whole bunch of them, mala mala, currant bush, purple vetch, native lemongrass, and they said, oh, we've got all these ants, we've got incredible ant hills all across the property. Maybe there's something you can do with that. And um, we discovered that these native gravel ants are actually an indigenous food source. And uh, it was their alarm pheromones that they release when you got to you got to kind of stomp around on the ant hills, get them a bit angry, and they get a bit agitated. They all come out and they charge, and they release this this very aromatic kind of citrusy, musky pheromone um mm. and we were able to capture the pheromone and use that as a botanical how do you that that seems like <laughs> a lot of pissing off ants to capture yeah. <laughs> it's, it's quite terrifying it's very terrifying and once you've once you've got that 
smell up your nostrils and you know on your hands if you're capturing mm. the ants you, you can't you can't get rid of it <laughs> it's, a, wow. it's a very how, very strong smell how do you capture ant pheromone <laughs> what, what, is, what does that process look like i just imagine you're out there in your gum boots stomping away on this anthill trying to piss them off yeah. No, you're just you're just swiping the air to capture the pheromone. What are you <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> we we got to definitely make them angry, very angry, hence the name, angry ant, Jim. Um, and look, the 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 nice PG way to put it is that we we drop them into our um, odor V and we wash their little bodies and we capture the 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 pheromones that way. Um, right. But so they, they, they have a they have a bit of a bit of a spirit bath. They have a bit of a spirit bath, and um, some Wouldn't may argue that there are. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a bad way to go. Mm. I I must admit that a few ants are are harmed in that process, but right. it it, yeah. it it is going to a good cause. So it's the one gin that we do have to declare because we do get questions about. If all of our gins are vegan or not, and that one is that not. one's not vegan friendly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the the really amazing thing about the pheromones is because we we worked with an entomologist um, from Melbourne University, and he was telling me that the ants they these ants these gravel ants are actually found all over Australia. Um, they're not native to any one state, but wherever they are found they graze on the botanicals on their of their surrounds and those mm. botanicals then infuse the uh the aromas of their surrounds in their pheromones and so using the ant pheromones from the same property that we also source all these other indigenous and native botanicals it's this really beautiful kind of circle of tying mm. everything together from that one location um one. so that's yep. the really incredible thing about that that's particular some uh thing. That's some amazing ant terroir. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That that would there's an interesting uh, an interesting uh, uh, range for you. The ants of Australia. The ant yeah. Collection. Like it. Great. Great idea. Mm. <laughs> get them pissed and get them pissed. Yep. <laughs> Wow. So, Holly, you, you, said, you said you had, what, 10, 10 gins uh, in your portfolio? That's, that's yeah. a lot of gins, isn't it? Yeah, some of them are, some of them are seasonal, um, but yeah. it, is, it is a lot. It is a lot. We do have a hell of a lot of dried and fresh botanicals banked up at the distillery um, <laughs> to draw on. But, yeah, um, I mean, we, we try and do some seasonal stuff and we try and work with local producers on those seasonal gins. So we've done a, a black truffle gin before with uh, Red Hill Truffles and the truffle dog Thomas goes and finds the truffles for us. Um, and we've done a, a Genevieve gin. Black is that? Oh, no, it's not black. No, we don't actually. It's not black. It's clear. It's clear. clear. What's, is that a truffle gin? That's the um, the Newcastle distilling the mist. Oh, black travel gin. Oh, black travel gin. That is it's black. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wow. I left it in my glass for a couple of days, and uh, that glass is black now. Wow. <laughs> it's got Swiddington, is it? <laughs> I, I I don't know. We'll have to ask him 
I, I can't remember um, how he makes it so black, but he's black as. Yeah, black very as, dark. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to use a lot of truffles to get it that black, I reckon. I think, I think there's a colour in there. I think there is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> An added colour of some sort, but... I can't remember mm. if he actually disclosed it or not. We have to rewatch I don't think he said which color it was. No. Or what what the color was. But yeah, it's there's definitely a color in there. Something in there that makes it black. So yours is a clear one, so you just go for the truffle hit. Yeah, just do the, the vapor infusion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And um work with kind of creamy botanicals, calamus root, um, to to add add a really kind of rich texture and flavor mm. to it as well. Right. And before we move on past too far past the ants, how many ants do you use in a batch? <sighs> I get asked that all the time. You know what? I haven't I haven't sat there and counted them because it's really hard because You're when just one. <laughs> no, Three. no, no. We're talking like we're talking big clumps. And when they right. when they get angry, um, they clump together. And if you yeah, wanted right. to count them, you'd have to get tweezers and you'd have to pull them apart. And um, we we have done a few limited releases where we put ants an ant in the bottle um, yep. and and sell that. But it, it's hard. You have to you have to tweezer them apart, and you have to make sure it's still got its arms and its head and it, it's a hundred a hundred percent full ant <laughs> so, so i don't know i don't know how many we use but um so we, like we, a, a handful we, or a bucket, a bucket. so we a send we send like 500 ml bottles of our um o to v over to wa and they fill them back up with ants so we we will get um you know six bottles of ants plus o to v and that'll that'll last us about a year yeah wow so yep. there's a lot of pheromones in those little ants. There's a lot of pheromones and very strong, very potent stuff. Wow. Does it end up like just coating the still? And like how, how does it affect other runs that you do then after that? No, no, that one's that one's actually a post ad. We add that in after right. separately. It's a okay. speak. We we post add yep. that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's um that that would be a nightmare to clean. Oh uh, yeah, no, 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 no. We got to we got to keep that stuff separate. Got to keep that stuff separate. <laughs> so the vegans can be assured there are no ant remnants in any yeah. of the other ones at all. No True. ant True. residue. Yes. <laughs> all right. Okay. I love that so much. <laughs> I'm gonna have to buy a bottle. <laughs> it's a beautiful gin, actually. It's got really strong native lemongrass, and that's probably my all-time favourite native botanical. Lemongrass, it kind of have – have any of you guys tried it? It no. looks a lot like straw. It doesn't look anything like the lemongrass yeah. you get in the supermarket. Right, okay. And when you crush it in your fingers and smell, it's, it's very kind of sweet lemon, musk, citrus kind of – yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. Well, I'm going to look forward to tasting it. So I'm not going to be able to help myself. I'm going to end up ordering it now. <laughs> so with, you, with your your developments of, of, of various gins, it, it's it's a long, involved process, isn't it? And, and it, it starts on a bench. Well, it starts with a, with a concept first, doesn't it? Mm. 
when when you when you talk to other gin distillers, do you find there's there's similarity in the way that that uh, gin distillers approach their methodology to develop their, their gins, or do you you find there's just so many different ways to come about it to make a gin? That's that's an interesting point. You know, I don't think I've ever had that conversation with other other distillers about how they how they approach making their gins. Um, but I mean, I guess you know the interesting thing is everyone we know so many distillers with very unique backgrounds. You know, we know scientists, chemists, lawyers, accountants. Um, my background was in marketing. I think just on your life experience, the way you approach um, creating a gin will probably be very different. But for me, the way I approach creating a gin is I'll, I'll start with a concept in my head or potentially a, bota a botanical or two that I'd love to have a play with. So, for instance, our Orient gin is um, inspired by my my family's Chinese heritage, my grandmother's Chinese, and it's got um, Chinese red date and Sichuan pepper and mandarin. And I, I always wanted to put Sichuan pepper in a gin, and so that that was kind of the starting point. And then for me, the way I come up with my gin recipe is I, I'll do individual distillates first. I'll yep. I'll blend the balance, and then once I'm happy with it, we'll work backwards and we'll work out how to do the the single shot from there and, and we'll kind of obviously because it's slightly different methods you'll have to tweak the um the recipe a little bit but that's that's kind of how I approach it um and then with the maritime gin that was more of a a concept of wanting to come up with a gin that encapsulated flavors of the Mornington Peninsula so it's not a navy gin it's it's called maritime gin though and it is um made with locally foraged kelp and samphire and saltbush uh, to give a real kind of salty, salt air kind of vibe mm. to it. So that was a concept as well. That's that's how I start, I suppose. Okay. That's, yeah, that's... Um, is, that, is that different to what you've come across? No, it's it, it's it's similar. It, it, yeah, my, my uh, understanding is, yeah, it starts with a concept and then it starts with... A couple of botanicals, individual uh, individual distillates, and then uh, yeah, the, the the blending of it, and it's mm. to me it's very akin to cooking, and, yeah. and getting getting that balance right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I think a lot of people think that gin is just about flavor and aroma, but there's also the texture that some botanicals can create. So, you know, calamus root, um, calamus root gives a real creaminess and cinnamon actually creates a real smoothness. And so you're using flavor and aroma, but also texture when it comes to creating gins, which is really important. Yeah. Wow. Mm. There's, a, there's, there's a lot to it, isn't there? <laughs> Absolutely. So you, you, you started, uh, Fairly early in the piece with the, you know, the explosion of, of gin in Australia, what what has surprised you uh, with with the growth of gin um, from the early days to, to where it is now, and where do you think it's going in the future? Oh, um, I guess I, I've been amazed at um, how many new gins are coming onto the market just kind of in the last one to two years, uh, you know, it's definitely kind of, it, it, it's kind of started out and just, you know, skyrocketed. And yeah. then you think, you know, when we, 
when we set up Bass and Flinders, I think there was only about 30 distilleries in the country and today there's about 330. And if you think, you know, we make 10 gins and obviously not all of the 330 make gin, but, you know, even if three quarters of them did and they each made five, that's that's a hell of a lot of gin. Um, mm. But, you know, it, it sounds like a lot for, for those within the industry, but then you look at, uh, you look at how much local spirit is consumed compared to you know imports, and it's still absolutely minuscule. So um, I guess what surprises me, I mean, maybe not surprising, but it's interesting to see, and especially kind of post-COVID, I think we're, we're finding gin is becoming a lot more localised, you know, local flavours, um, that that represent where that distillery is based much more so you know um i think that that's that's a really great trend to see because it it just means that um as a as a distillery that has a venue you know people can travel to all different distilleries and actually taste the flavors of that location in a gin um so i think that's that's an interesting trend um and then i i think you know the the start of the the grape infused gins that's been a really fantastic one and I think that's one that is just um, also starting to take off in the industry obviously four pillars with their body Shiraz they were um, they they pretty much created this category and now we're seeing you know that we've got the Pinot Noir gin never never guys got their gin ash um, and we're starting to see white grape varieties in gin as well which I think is really interesting so I think there's a lot more to be explored there still and that's that's going to be pretty exciting as well. Mm. And you said it's... I was just going to say, so it, it is a new category uh, in regards to, to gin and and, um, and and working with wine? I think, um, I think Australia has really led the charge, you, you know, globally. Um, I think... I'm not 100% sure, but I'm I'm pretty sure Bloody Shiraz was was kind of the first of its kind. And, um, you know, internationally, I think there might be a few popping up. Um, I think there was maybe one in Spain, but it's very rare. It's not it's not a common style of gin in um, in the UK. Uh, it's, it's a very, very new concept as far as I'm aware. This this taking a gin, um, infusing steeping grapes or however the, the way we do it is a little bit, di- bit different we get the the grapes and we kind of we allow the grapes to ferment and then we kind of fortify that fermentation we cut that fermentation with our gin but you know it, it's very much a trend that I believe started really in Australia and and Australia's kind of um pitching that to the world and it's you know it's it's forced spirits competitions to create new categories for it mm. It's a very Australian thing too, isn't it? Just try something different and, and uh, yeah, it, it builds from there. And and with a name like Bloody Shiraz, I mean, that that was just marketing gold, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the really exciting thing about making spirits in Australia. You know, we, we don't have the same um, very strict line after line after line after line definitions of exactly what a gin needs to be you know the eu's got their three definitions some might argue that the australian definition needs to be stricter but as it is it it means that there's a lot of room for that innovation and that's that's how we see things like um 
great, great gins get created, which is, yeah, super, super exciting. Mm. Yeah, well. okay. Is there anything that you think is being overused in Australian gins? Uh, Don't say juniper. Hey? <laughs> Don't say juniper. Juniper, no, 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 no. Must, must, be, must be used in, in large or small proportions. <laughs> um, I think overused is probably a strong word, but there's definitely mm. been trends. Um, there's yeah. definitely been, I think, the the lemon myrtle trend. Mm-hmm. Um, that was definitely one. I think pepperberry, you know, that's that's another one. Uh, you know, those botanicals, those native botanicals are mm. popular as well as strawberry yeah. gum. I think those three are probably the most popular native botanicals because they taste amazing. Mm. Um, so I think those three in my opinion will probably be the most common native botanicals you will find um in every distillery um in some way shape or form but uh, and then is there anything that you think should be used more like the that's very understated in the australian uh botanicals or is that going to be a a best kept secret (laughs) native lemongrass is my fave and i don't think i don't i haven't seen I don't know of anyone mm. using native lemongrass, and we just came about it because Woolleen Station told us that there was a heap of it on their property, and we discovered that it was this incredible native botanical. But I think you know that just goes to show that there's so many other native botanicals mm. out there yet to be discovered, and you know um, the more that can be discovered and shared, the better. Because yeah, that there's there's some incredible flavors out there that are really reflective of our native outback. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think you've proven that with uh, stomping on, on anthills. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's a process that, um, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit, it was a little bit traumatic when you, when you, when you partake for the first time, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> still got PTSD. <laughs> it's all right. I still drink the gin. <laughs> all that matters. It's all that matters. <laughs> And then, mm. and then we've got um, brandy. So you you were saying that brandy was where it, where it all started. It just took time to, to make the brandy. And you released your brandy, how long ago did you release your first, first brandy? Yeah, so we, uh, we actually put our first commercial volume and barrels down in 2011 and we've released that uh, in 2015. Um, and it was a minimum, it was minimum five, five year old, uh, must've been start of 2011 and 15, something like that. And so it's ochre, this one, I've got this one here. Um, ochre is our flagship brandy and, um, we've, yeah, we, our oldest barrel is 2011 uh, and we we decided to start with a premium brandy. We wanted to, we always wanted to do things right and we wanted to do things well and we wanted to focus on quality. And so um, we felt it wasn't until five years in barrel that that brandy was ready to be released. Um, and it was only about a year and a half ago that we released a younger brandy. So we did the $230 bottle of brandy first and then we did the uh, $120 bottle of brandy a couple of years ago. And I guess, you know, 
the, the expensive ochre is is very much for a niche market, people who potentially love drinking cognac um, and love that premium kind of craft element. And then the two-year-old we really created to kind of, uh, we're really passionate about helping change people's perceptions when it comes to brandy because I think that people mm-hmm. still kind of see brandy as something their grandma drinks, something that goes in the Christmas pudding. Um, and, and that's why we, we also did a spice Christmas brandy um, to have a bit of fun with that. But the, the younger brandy was really released to help people not be scared about brandy, have fun with it, put it in cocktails, mix it, um, that kind of thing. So, but yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole ethos, everything that we do at Bass and Flinders started with making brandy and that's why we use the eau de vie uh for the brandy and for the gin um yeah mm. and you spent some time in, in in france didn't you a few years ago you, you traveled around um yeah yes, yes. uh i've been there a couple of times um yeah. met a few met a few distilleries it's it's interesting people would assume that the french don't like to tell um outsiders what they do and don't like to share their secrets but uh i think they were i think they were just interested that someone from australia wanted to talk to them about the technical aspects and they were really happy Mm. to have a chat um and i think you know they they don't really see australia as any kind of threat i think um you know they probably should (laughs) but they don't uh (laughs) so um but at the end of the day you know, they have very strict rules and regulations around, you know, they, they must start. I think their distillation season starts in October and it ends by the end of Feb. And they've got government officials that go around and check that the distillation has finished and they check, you know, how much heads, how much hearts, seconds, tails, um, make sure that they're distilling the right wines, all sorts of parameters that they have in place that actually really restricts innovation in cognac and when when I came along and I said oh have a try of my 100% Chardonnay based um, brandy matured in ex-cognac barrels um, we distill all year round or we, we can distill all year round what do you what do you think and and their minds were blown you know they 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 didn't even they didn't even comprehend that all these other ways of producing brandy were possible because that yeah they've got those limitations so I, I found them to be very uh forthcoming with information and um yeah really helpful and and off the back of uh my second quick trip trip over there we we visited a um a steel manufacturer and we we got chatting and we have been working with them for the last couple of years to source uh, a secondhand cognac still was right. it was still quite an expensive still but it wasn't nearly as expensive a new one um at, but it's a very beautiful ancient looking thing and they uh they've managed to refurbish the elements that had kind of worn out and so we just this year have installed our 1700 liter uh secondhand cognac barrel and that overtakes our 300 liter pot still which is really exciting because you know we'll, we'll just still 40,000 litres plus of wine a year on that 300 litre pot still. And it's, you know, it, it, it's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it's, uh, it just doesn't make sense. It's just, it's just so, uh, yeah, 
so labour intensive. Um, and 1,700 litres is, is still considered small in cognac. Um, it's just going to be a lot more efficient for us. And when it comes to distilling wine, it's so important to distill it, you know, quickly so that you uh, you capture that that freshness and you maintain that freshness of the wine. And the longer it takes you to do, you know, you start to lose um, some of those aromas and, and characters. And so in, in cognac, what they do is they do two first distillations and then one second and then two first and then one second. But for us, we have to do all our first to um to to get that wine distilled into low wines and and then and then the second so yeah mm. um we've had a question come in from uh, William Rule um have you found much difference in the aging process between the El Nino drought years and the last few wet years oh um in not that I could put my finger on to be honest I mean we we do tend to get we do tend to lose a fair bit of, um, uh, yeah, we, we lose volume each year. But I, I think that that's just got to do with the fact that our warehouse temperature fluctuates more than anything. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, certainly the El Nino affects the grapes and the vineyards and the, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the volume of wine that we can have access to that our winemaker is telling us that we're probably going to get half the amount of volume that we want um in the coming vintage which is a bit disappointing but um yeah we, we just have to kind of take what we can get so i think it's yeah it's mostly in the vineyard that 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 really affects us the most mm. yeah and so then what do you do then if you're only going to get half half your volume what do you do you've got half a year uh, yeah well, we we decide whether we we decide whether we want to source some Chardonnay from another vineyard. Mm -hmm. um, we we've only ever worked with Chardonnay, but there you know there there is opportunity to trial some different um, grape varieties, which which mm -hmm. we've been thinking about. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, I guess it, it could free free up distillation space for trialing a few other things. Mm. Yeah, the constant battle of uh, farming in Australia, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't want to do it. Would not want to do it. Full respect to our farmers who are farm, whatever they're farming. God, that must be such a hard job. Yeah, absolutely. Heartbreaking as well. And um, yeah. yeah, especially in the especially in the wineries at the moment, you know, with the with the export to China, I, I think I was reading that it's you know it's plummeted to ninety five percent of what they were doing pre mm. the yeah the trade wars. So I think they've got a lot on their plate at the moment. The mm. the winemakers. Does that give you sort of any opportunity then? To, to take up some of that slack if they're seeing all this grape sitting there not knowing what to do with it yeah yep. um that could does that mean boom for you potentially it it potentially does mean access to more volume but then you know we've had that in conjunction with the learning app. um but talking to another winery the other day they they actually said 
um, we were terrified when the trade war started happening. We weren't sure what we were going to do, but because of the weather, we didn't actually have enough anyway and it worked in our favour because we could still support all of our wholesale mm. customers in Australia without having to cut anyone off. So, um, yeah, yeah, interesting how that kind of played out. <laughs> yeah, convenient. <laughs> wow so how many who who's doing the distilling day to day are you in there on the still every day not every day um i i am in there some days but we've also got a production manager and a production assistant um so at the moment we kind of are rotating the distillation of the shiraz um low wines into parts and uh yeah that's that's kind of mm. yeah so i i imagine you're running pretty well around the clock to get through it all when when we do the first distillation yes that's that's a bit of a, a scramble to kind of pump that through the still and turn that into the low wines but once um once we're we've done that the the second distillation, the hearts, we can kind of take the foot off the pedal a little bit. It's not, it's not, yeah. Um, and how, how and we, we just kind of chip away. First, how long is that first distillation process? Are you talking days, weeks? How long are well, you on the Well, 40,000 litres on a 300-litre pot still, eight-hour batches. Wow. Um, talking about nine months from wine through to eau de vie at the moment. Um, so wow. when we, uh, yeah, so we're, we're just finish off, finishing off this vintage and then next vintage we'll be starting to use the, um, the cognac still. Um, mm -hmm. And that will, yeah, that will, that will just kind of drop the time down to about a fifth. And mm -hmm. it just means that we can, we can make more spirit because we really, we were really at our limits because if you get too far into the year, um, you know, you, you can't take wine after a certain time in the year because it's it's just not fresh. So um, it lim it was limiting. It was limiting working on a three hundred liter pot still. Mm. And yeah, as you said, it gives you a lot more time to do other things, doesn't it? Yeah, clears up some space to to have a play around with some other some other styles and some other products potentially. Yeah. Anything you can tell us about? <laughs> anything you're 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 wanting to dip your toe into well we we have done we have done a um a small run of apple brandy um it's it's currently maturing because uh, the mornington peninsula originally was um filled with apple orchards um there's a whole lot of cool stores around the peninsula and uh, Mock Cidery, they've got all their beautiful apples on the, on the property. We, we got the apple juice from them and um, Dan, our production manager, he was, he was able to turn the apple juice into cider. Uh, and so we've done, we've done our first um, batch of that and that's, yeah, that's maturing at the moment. So, I'd, I mean, I'd, I'd love to play around with lots of different fruits. There's, there's, there's so much on the peninsula. There's cherries, there's strawberries, um, yeah. That, that would be cool. Yeah, certainly a lot of opportunity down there. And I'm just you looking at your website with your venue there. Yeah. That's very impressive. How long have you been in there for? Yeah, so 
our our venue is in Dramana, but when we first set up in 2009, we actually started out in Red Hill. So we've kind of come from very humble beginnings, tiny, run-down, tin shed, freezing, um, going in there to distill, you know, 10 p.m. at night. It was in the middle of winter. It was it was pretty horrific at times. But um, I'm sure you, I'm that, sure that, you know that about that. That sounds like Crafty's world. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, there's hope for Crafty, yeah. yeah. Tin, tin shed, cold, yeah, like the stills, yeah. It's all about the boots. It's all about the boots. you just got to make sure you've got um, rubber-soled boots and then, and then it's fine. You can do anything um, as long as your feet are warm. But yeah, so we, we started in, in the in the back of a winery in Red Hill and we just leased a, a tiny space and um when my, my when my dad was first starting out he had a, a little round table top that he was selling gin off from their winery and he was really chuffed if he sold one or two bottles on the weekend kind of thing. Um and they gave us that space in exchange for us helping out, you know, serve serve their tables. So that was kind of how we rolled for the first couple of years. Um, and then over the years, we we started to grow. And I think, you know, that location that we started out in, in Red Hill, we were really lucky because we were right on the winery trail uh, on Red Hill Road. So just down the road from Polpero. Um, and often wine tours would kind of drive past and then do a Yui and come back because they saw a distillery and all day they'd been drinking wine. And so um, they'd come in and they'd be like, oh, wow, it's so great to be able to drink something different today. And so um, we, we got a lot of kind of flow on traffic that way in our old venue. And uh, the benefit of the old venue was, you know, we were overlooking vineyards, some of which we had harvested some Chardonnay from and, and turned into our brandy. So it was it was a beautiful location to start and to kind of help tell our story. Um but then eventually we outgrew that space. We had two 5,000 litre tanks in one side of the room and we had the still in the corner and we had the masterclass tables and we had the bar. And so, you know, we'd, we'd have the masterclass running and then a group of hens would rock up and it was really hard to kind of manage everything. And some people were out the back bottling and, and watching people getting rowdy, drinking their G&T. So uh, we, we kind of ran out of space in late 2018 in uh, December 2018 and then we relocated to the Dramana industrial estate which is where we are now so um, mm. when we first moved there we were we were a little bit worried because we were moving away from the wineries and we even though the wineries probably wouldn't want to admit this we feel quite connected to wineries and and, and the wine region um, and moving into an industrial estate, I guess it, it is quite normal for a distillery. But for us, we wanted to keep that link. Um, but we found we found it's it's a it's a different it's a different vibe in the industrial estate. It's actually really exciting because in the industrial estate, um, there's also rum distillery, Jimmy Rum, a uh, couple That's of breweries. Cool. There's a candle making place. There's seafood. A whole lot of different crafts artisanal businesses um all starting to band together to create kind of a a tourism hub um where mm -hmm. we are so um yeah so so that the venue that we're in kind of got purpose built for us um it's we are in the industrial estate but we're on the corner overlooking green pastures so you can almost pretend that you're not in, in the <laughs> <industrial estate>. um <laughs> but yeah it's, it's a good spot it's a very good spot yeah nice 
Very nice. No, it's and, a beautiful distillery. Mm, absolutely. Looking through the photos and it, it looks really lovely. Very lovely. I'll have to get down there. Yeah, well, when, when, when you guys came, Crafty, you wouldn't have seen. The cognac still was, it was literally two weeks away. I was really disappointed. It, it arrived two weeks after you guys all came and visited. So um, you, you'll, you'll all have to come down and see it. It's, it's my pride and joy. <laughs> Has it been named? Not yet. Not yet. You got any ideas? No, I'll leave that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want to come up with a name and you use it, and I get blamed. No. <laughs> We're currently calling it Big Red until we find something else. It's this beautiful, big red, um, traditional-looking. Yeah, yeah. It kind of looks like the TARDIS from Doctor Who. <laughs> awesome. Hooey. Hooey. Chewy. A chewy. Yeah, Big Red is is uh, a chewing gum. So, and oh. Chewy, so just put it out there. Go on, go on, go on. Just cinnamon gum, isn't that that one, Chewy? The big red yes. cinnamon, yeah. Mm. So you, you wear many hats in, in your distillery, Holly. Do you have anything in particular which you really enjoy? Uh, you know, you, you gravitate towards it or, or are you happy just balancing all, all the all the balls in the air yeah um yeah i do wear many hats right most of us who run small businesses have to wear have to wear many hats there's, there's certainly th some things that i'm i'm not good at and that would be you know the the it stuff and um <laughs> there's certain things that i would like to outsource one day um i do i do love the the r d um of coming up with new products and new recipes. Um, creating the Christmas brandy was really fun. Um, and I, I really wanted to create kind of like an Aussie riff on a Grand Marnier. So we came up with our Madame Marmalade, which is a brandy-based orange liqueur. Um, mm. Those are the things that I love doing. And sometimes I, I, just, get, I just get so distracted with all the other things. Um, but... Yeah, you know, I, I think I, w I wouldn't have it any other way. It's 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 something that I love. I love going to work and and doing wearing all the hats every day. So um, a lot of fun. And the bar mm. side of it, the the tasting bar side of it. Do you, do you enjoy that? that? And that's one hat that I I don't wear. I I leave that to um, our our head bartender and. Um, one thing I will admit is that I'm very bad at making cocktails. Um, I'm very good at talking about the product. So when when they're short on on staff, I'm more than happy to be running running the tastings out and talking to people and telling them about the spirits. But um, I remember when we were in our old side and I jumped behind the bar and I was making a Negroni, and I'm very ashamed to admit this, but I was I was shaking the Negroni. And I got scolded by um, the bartender saying, Holly, what are you doing? You do not shake a Negroni. Um, and I have never shaken a Negroni since then, but um, I, 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 tend to, I tend to shy away from making cocktails because, it, it, yeah, I'm not very good. <laughs> it's a skill in its own right. It is. It, it's, a, it's a skill. It absolutely is. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to be a... 
a, a big part of distilleries nowadays, isn't it? You, you, you do have to have a, a proper bar set up and have the expertise on putting cocktails together and, 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 and that side of it, So, which is really a separate business in its own right, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, because we, we had our cellar door, distillery door aspect of the business installed in, it wouldn't have been until about 2016 or so and um, just when gin was starting to pick up. And back then we were really fresh into the distillery door um, service and concepts and that kind of thing. And our cocktail menu consisted of a Negroni and a Martini and a Cosmopolitan and, you know, all the classics. Um, and since moving to the new venue and actually finding some incredible head bartenders and incredible um, skilled bartenders, they have brought to the table some really amazing cocktails using, you know, um, native botanical syrups and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's definitely a place I like to be on a Sunday, drinking drinking the Basin Cleaners cocktails because um, they, they taste amazing. Um, but, yeah, we, we've, we've definitely learnt that you've got you've got to deliver an amazing experience um, to kind of to be able to best showcase the amazing products that you make you've, you've got to be able to sh- show people how to drink them um, the, the cocktails have to look amazing so that people can post them on their social media um, and that's you know that's something that we've kind of we've we've learned along the way I suppose um, and, and it comes with having the right people with the right skill sets as well the, the, the mm. bartenders can create those amazing flavors in the cocktails. Mm. And you've you found from a from a staffing perspective, no, no issues in in recruiting people because there is a general shortage out there, isn't there, of, of high yeah. quality. It's been hard. I think it's been it's been hard for everyone in every industry. I think, um, yes. but I think you know hospitality really was hit quite hard with the pandemic and. Um, yeah, we, we, we've definitely found, you know, when, when, I, when I advertised for a venue manager a few years ago, I had, you know, 30 applicants and then I advertised for a venue manager earlier in the year and I had, you know, four. So it, 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 makes, you, it makes you really nervous. It makes you really nervous. Um, what, if, what if I can't find someone? What if I can't find the right person? We've been very lucky and we've, we've got a great team, um, many of whom have have stuck around you know we were we were able to jump on the hand sanitizer bandwagon during the pandemic and we were able to keep everyone working um but yeah it's, it's a challenge it's a challenge for sure have you still got much um hand standing left over just only a couple of boxes left which i'm really happy about <laughs> <laughs> no one wants it anymore because there's so much out there it's like yeah it's, the market is completely flooded now. Um, yeah. <laughs> I You're thought I was never going to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a moment in time, wasn't it? And, uh, it was a very small moment. <laughs> a yeah. very, very small moment. And if you got in at the right time, yeah. you did well. There was there was a good few weeks where I was I was I was dreaming about hand sanitizer. It was the only thing I was thinking about. It was yeah. <laughs> I was a professional expert in hand sanitizer for the three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was your special twist on the hand sanitizer? Everyone had their, their thing that they did with it. 
Yeah, we we added like a tiny pink blush to the very first batch that we limit, we we released. It was um, a pink blush from a bit of uh, hibiscus rosella. So right. that was that was our twist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but the the great thing about the stuff that distilleries released is that you know it, none of it was gel; it was all liquid and. Yeah. The, the spray stuff lasts forever. Like I, I've mm. still got my spray bottle from two years ago in my car and it's, it's it, yeah, still got plenty. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got them everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and I didn't even make the stuff, but I've got them everywhere. <laughs> so I think out of so, – so this is episode 40. Congratulations, yep. you are episode 40. 40. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Very nice. Um, and I think other than Ali, you would be our only female distiller that we've had on. Yeah. Is that? Oh, well, what about all the not- other women out there? So that's not representative of the Australian scene, that's for sure. No, 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 no. no. You got to get some more women on. I know, you do. Um, trying. No. <laughs> so, that's, yeah. I know. I, I'm not entirely sure how that's worked out. Mm. Uh, I guess schedules and and booking and whatnot. We'll blame that, Rafi. Um <laughs> How do you find the the industry um, on a on a personal level in terms of getting uh, support and mentorship and that sort of a thing. Do you find that there are elements that are a, a bit of a boys' club, or is it is that just not a thing? No, I, not I don't find that at all. That's just my that's just my personal experience because I've 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 read what some other women have written about their experiences and it's very different. But um, I mean, when I took over from my dad, he he he'd set up the distillery so that one person could do everything and he you know he said to me right from the start don't don't let anyone tell you you can't do stuff just because you're a woman um Mm. you can do this entire production room yourself i've set it up for you it'll be fine um i i had a i had a a few people from the media actually contact me and say oh what's your experience tell us is it hard being a woman and I, I, I had to say no, it's not. And I, I find it, I find it very supportive, very supportive, and not not because I'm a woman, mm. um, but just you, you know, I think we all are in this industry because we love it, and because everyone is, um, everyone's always willing to share their ideas and always mm. up for a chat. You know, I feel totally comfortable calling up the guys at Chief Sun and asking them about their filtration system and chatting to James down the road about where he got his. Pinot Noir for his um, his Pinot Rum, and um, I yeah I, I don't find it intimidating. Um, I don't I don't feel like I'm treated differently as a woman. I mean, when when I first started, people would assume that I was the marketer, um, mm-hmm. you know, or, or like a, a more female dominant role. But um, no, and there's you know there's there's women distilling groups out there now i think there's there's two there's right. women of australian distilling um uh yeah there's a couple of supportive groups i mean kathleen um from nipple curry she does incredible things for women in the industry and she's she's always 
supportive and, and coming up with events and, and that kind of thing. So um, I think there's now, and, and it's different to when I first started and stepped into the role um, in the industry in 2016, now there is um, some great support networks out there for women. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Not a, not a perspective I'm I'm familiar with. So, <laughs> uh, I, I remember Ali said something to me one day. She said um, she's looking forward to the day when someone says she's a distiller. She's not a woman distiller. Mm. Right. Mm. And uh, yeah, they're just or just assuming that it's Nick. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's it's not a it's not a big deal to us as female distillers, but um, I guess society um, maybe still some some in society still find it surprising and and exactly right. They they specify mm. that we're female distillers, um, yeah. but we're just doing our job. Um, and yeah, yeah. That's it, and probably much better at it in terms of organisation, planning, um, taste, uh, all the things that men are typically bad at. <laughs> you, might, you might upset some men saying that. Women are known to be very good multitaskers, aren't they? That's and, it, absolutely. Um, they are we, also we known to have task for shit, <laughs> and very good olfactory senses. Um, yes, women, yes, women have good yeah, olfactory but... senses. Scientifically, a fact. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but you know, everything everything that we do is subjective. You know, in in the mm. spirits industry, when we're when we're coming up with a whiskey blend or a rum blend or a brandy blend, you know, we we overlay everything else, not just whether male or female but mm. what our background is um what our previous yeah what our previous mm. jobs were all that kind of stuff absolutely there's there's so much influence more than than just gender yeah and everything absolutely um do we want to crafty we haven't done it for a little while i don't think okay. he's right either <laughs> you gonna do it and now it's time for Throw the Todd under, under, under the Bus. And now. You've <laughs> <laughs> no, had all holiday. This little <laughs> second is your break. It's, uh, it's where we throw Todd under the bus and he gets to ask some questions and. <laughs> He's not prepared. He's so. put a lot of thought in it tonight. <laughs> it is always He's literally throwing it. And, and he has to try and think of a question very, very quickly. <laughs> and generally, he'll be upset with us because we've already, Crafty and I, obviously, we just talk. Uh, we've generally asked all the things that he wanted to ask. <laughs> Have I padded enough for you, Todd? <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still rather blank at the moment, so. <laughs> so who are you looking at in the industry at the moment? Who's, 
you, you said that you've got you've got guys doing rum down the road, you've got uh, brewers down the road and whatnot. Obviously, there's a number of distillery, distilleries opening up around Victoria all the time. Who are you looking at as someone doing something quite exciting? Mm, I think that's a good question. Um, who am I looking at who's doing something exciting? I mean... I, I'm I'm watching all the I'm watching all the great wine infused gins coming out, um, and I mean I, I I I like keeping on top of the 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 ideas and the concepts that Four Pillars and Archie Rose are doing. I mean they're they're way ahead of the crowd when it comes to marketing and mm. collaborations and. Um, you know, they're, they're doing some great stuff because they're, you know, that much bigger. Um, mm. But as far as, I guess, as far as innovation goes, um, yeah, I mean, I, I love I love what the guys at Never Never have been doing. I love I love seeing what, what kind of new creations they come up with and they're releasing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're focused on flavour and, um, yeah, just kind of doing things a little bit different. Um I don't know. There's, there's there's so many to keep an eye on now. You know, it's it, oh, I'm, I'm I'm following so many on on Instagram. I'm just I'm quite overwhelmed by all the all the new products that are coming to market. <laughs> there are always a lot, and yeah, it's it it hurts my wallet a lot, <laughs> and I keep. I'm running out of room to put all the things because every time we talk to somebody, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to buy that now. And then I get a a delivery and my wife says, did you honestly buy another bottle of something? Like, no, (laughs) no, I didn't. They, they gave it to me because of the podcast, you know, she doesn't watch. So it doesn't matter. No one tell her. Those shelves, those shelves look like they're holding a lot of weight. I, <laughs> I hope they're uh, real they sturdy. Are, they are very firmly bolted to the wall. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Maybe that angry ant bottle will tip it over the edge. <laughs> well, I, I hope not. It, it, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to comparing your angry ant to... The green ant. Yep, very different, very different flavors, but both both mm. got ants. Definitely, definitely both got. That ants. that literally has ants floating around in the bottle too. Yeah, they do. Which are bloody hard to get out of the bottle. We discovered they are. That's why I've gone through so much of it because I kept on pouring out <laughs> water trying to get an ant. That all went into one glass. <laughs> But I, I will definitely do a comparison of a band. Yeah. <laughs> Just because I can. <laughs> How'd you go, Todd? You got distracted, didn't you? I got distracted listening to your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it, I don't know if we covered it or not. Um, where, where do you see the industry in the next five to ten years? As, as a whole for Australia, I guess. Still mm. vibrant and growing or starting to Yeah. I think bit... I think we've got a, a, a long a, a lot of growth still to come. Um, I think we'll see some of the kind of small to medium sized distilleries get even bigger. 
um, and we'll see many more of the kind of small, small boutique um, husband and wife duo facilities popping up, creating kind of very uniquely local spirits. Um, I think as far as trends go, I, I, we're all on the edge of our seat waiting for, you know, more tequila to come to the market. I think that's the next big thing. I think that's going to be really exciting. Um, mm. I'm hoping that Brent is going to be going to start to take off and that's going to get real popular and we're going to we're going to try our best to help more Australians fall in love with brandy again um but yeah I think you know given given the international imports still vastly um dominate many of the the bars and the restaurants where all spirits are served I think that there's there's so much more work we as an industry have to do to convince more Australians to drink local um, and to support local. And so I hope that in the next kind of five years um, that message will start to cut through a lot more, um, even just with more distilleries popping up, more awareness of, of, of Aussie craft spirits as a better switch from imports. I, I hope that that's the way that the industry is going to go. And is that what you think the, the industry as a whole needs to, to do? in the next uh, sort of five to 10 years? They, they need to improve the marketing or improve the, the story behind Australian spirits versus the imports? What do, what do you see the industry needing to do? I think, I think with more awareness of how much value the craft spirits industry adds to Australia and the economy and jobs, you know, there, there's, there's so much that distilleries are adding in value and and have the potential to add but at the moment um you know we're really restricted by by excise you know the ever increasing excise and I, I think if if there are more distilleries and and there's and there's more interest in supporting local um it, it might mean that politicians are are going to start to listen to what we need you know the industry is still in its infancy I think there's there's so much more that that can be done around the the rigor of of, of training um and and safety and um more information out there the better to support these new distilleries starting up because a lot of us kind of had to feel our way and um bounce ideas off other distillers and 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 work it out and so um yeah i think i think with more volume of of, of distilleries the more likely the, the greater public is is going to get behind us and support us and help us grow and and take over some of those those imports. Um, mm. mm. Yeah, right. And the other side of it too is um, Australia pushing out internationally more too, isn't it? The export, yeah. a big big drive on on export. Absolutely, and I think you know we we've seen. Um, you know, the likes of Karoo and Never Never, um, Four Pillars winning international awards. I think that, uh, I think the world is really, really starting to make, take notice of, of, of what we're putting out there. And um, I mean, for us, we're out to prove that Australian brandy can be some of the best in the world, as can gin. Um, and the only way to do that is to send our products overseas and, and get more people falling in love with Australian spirits. So, how many um, brandy distillers are there in Australia now? It is. It must be a, a very small number. 
uh, yes. certainly in comparison to whiskey and gin. I, 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 just in speaking to some other distillers over the last kind of years, I know that there's, there's going to be more brandy being released to market. I know that, um, I mean, it makes sense, you know, um, those in the Barossa Valley, those mm. on the morning to each other, those in wine regions, it makes total sense. I don't think there's many. Um, I don't know exactly, but I was, I was at the, um, Australian Distilled Spirits Awards um, judging few few weeks ago now, and I was I was taking note of how many submissions there were in brandy, and I think there was, I think it was about fifteen or so, which is more than there was last year, which is much more yeah. than there was the year before, uh, right. and by comparison, in the gin category, there was you know three hundred and fifty or so. So, um, that, but but fifteen brandies that's to me, that's a lot. That tells me that they're, they're, that that area is growing and it's kind mm. of a watch this space. There's, there's going to be brandies being released after they've matured in the coming mm. years. Did you get to try many of those for the judging? I didn't get to try the brandy, no. I was I was put on the gin panel. I would have loved to have tried the brandy. Okay. <laughs> I, think it, I think it's a conflict of interest, although, yeah, it would have been a conflict of interest because for the gin, right. I'm, I'm sure they they – I had to declare my interests and they split the category across many different panels and they would have given me not my gins. Um. Right. Was your brandy in the mix? It was in the mix. It was in the mix. So it definitely how, would have been a conflict of interest. How did you do? I don't know yet. We don't know. Right, we, okay. we haven't got the results yet. I think they'll be out, I think it's the 16th of October when the awards yeah, night right. uh, yeah. yeah, not too far away then. Mm. Yeah. Yep, that would yep. be interesting. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Quietly gunning for, for top billing, though, aren't you? I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Um, and another thing, another thing that I've I've got in the works um, early next year. I'm actually gonna. I'm heading over to Cognac to do a six week internship. So um, my my goal is definitely to learn as much as I possibly can and and keep improving keep improving our brandy. Sorry, that's mm. my dog in my dog in the background. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, working working hard to keep learning in that space and, and keep innovating yeah. and, 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 and keep trying new things. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful dog. This is Remy. <laughs> he's, named, he's named Remy after Remy Martin. <laughs> Here he is. <laughs> we don't get enough dogs on the podcast. What's your thoughts on Armagnac? Oh, I love Armagnac. Armagnac is yeah. stunning. I just it it you can tell it's got a real story behind it. It's um it's like a rustic, um, much more kind of yeah, just an interesting character to it when you compare it to cognac. Cognac is very refined, um, very clean, um, you know, and then you've got this this big bold armagnac uh, yeah there's nothing else like it mm. yeah I, I remember tasting a 40 year old armagnac and i was just amazed how how grassy it was and, and just how fresh it, it, it was yeah yeah and i just love i love the history behind it you know they they used to have these these traveling these roving stills on wheels and they just wheel them from from winery to winery and, and distill 
that winery's grapes and then go to the next one. It's, it, yeah, it's got this incredible history behind it as well. We actually, on our on our 300 litre pot still that we had made, so our, our pot still was designed in France, um, manufactured in South Africa and then um, shipped over here and, and put together. And that was because the master distiller who came out, he was South African even though he trained with Remy Martin. But um, we also had a second hat um, and a second set of condensers made for the pot still that we still got and I haven't had a chance to play with and actually I might have a chance to play with now that we can retire our 300 litre pot still and start working with cognac still might mean that I can set up the the Armagnac hack I've got I've got kind of um, a small set of columns and a very different looking condenser that is supposed to be able to just um, get switched over from the the Morse cap that we've currently got on there so um, mm. that could be that could be further down the line for us too one day who knows yeah all the unexplored possibilities yeah <laughs> <laughs> very cool very cool well we've hit the almost hit the hour and a half mark uh yeah. do we want to are there any other questions from those watching um before we uh before we wrap it up um it's going to take them a little while to type. Most, I think most of our audience are, are two-finger typers like crafting. So we should probably give them a minute. <laughs> Maybe. No? All right. We're going to no. we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Um, uh, we need new sponsors. I think we've hit our, uh, our 12 months for our sponsors. So if anybody is interested in sponsoring the, sh the, uh, the show, please, please feel free to hit us up. Uh, and we'll be uh, reaching out soon because, you know, this doesn't pay for itself. Um, <laughs> it would be lovely if it did, um, or at least covered some of the costs. But anyway, um, <laughs> the joys of, you know, technology. Um, please do like and subscribe, follow on Facebook. Uh, we do have an Instagram that I occasionally put something up on. I think I cut Crafty out of it at one point. Um, but, yeah, do get on there. Uh, please uh, jump on the website where we are on every different major podcast and, and streaming service uh, to uh, get the episodes and uh, see all the whole back catalogue. This was episode 40, which I think is quite an amazing feat for us that we made it this far. Right. <laughs> thank you very much holly for joining us it's it's been really interesting i'm looking forward to um tasting some ant pheromone <laughs> you're very welcome enjoy the gin and uh thank you for inviting me on your show no worries thank you holly we appreciate it and it was it was quite it a technical good. one it's mm. good yeah, and very, very interesting. And the only brandy distiller that we've had on so far. There you go. There you go. There'll be more. I'm sure there'll be more, and there'll be more women as well, right? Indeed. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that'll awesome. be our challenge for uh, our goal for this next 12 month period. Uh, it should be overwhelmingly women, I think. Love it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining us. 
Uh, and yeah, who's up next week? Who's up next time? Oh, shit. Well, um, TBA. 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 All right. Um, so does that mean you know who you booked, but you He's haven't confirmed? No, no, I know. I know. I've got to do some uh, confirming. No, it's next week. Hey? Next, it's next week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've done for some reason. We normally do it every second week, Holly. For some reason, we've we've slipped in a couple of back to back weeks. Fantastic. Yeah, you've done that a couple of times to me. Yeah, yeah. all right. Um, we particularly fine. like the ones that are overseas that keep us up to midnight. Yeah, oh, yeah, they're good. Yeah, yeah they're awesome. Great. He'll do it. We can say, and then he'll force him into it. Go on. All good. Well, okay. What about the one in two weeks? No, three weeks. TBA. All right. We've got more episodes coming up. Stay tuned. We'll eventually know who we're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> and if we're talking to anybody at all. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everyone. Have a good evening. And, um, yeah, buy some brandy. Yeah. Thanks again, Holly. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Uh, I'm going to put the website up one more time before I. Oh, shit. Where have I put it? There it is. Hit up the website, buy some brandy, buy some gin, and uh, support local. Mm. Thank you, everyone. Cheers. Thanks, everyone.